Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about existing home sales and a possible Fed pivot. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here, Sarah Wheeler, as we crack the top 10 in the uh, top 10 uh, podcast for Apple. Uh, and the goal is to be number one. So we have I one, love it. It is number, our goal. Number nine. And our goal is to be number one. So we still are uh, got some work left to do. But it has been a lot of fun, uh, especially this year, since we've done uh, twice a week. And uh, uh, since the end of February, I think we all see the data ourselves. It's been exploding higher. So uh, it is an honor to be here once again with you. Well, we love having you. I know that you're uh, a big part of that growth. You know, I get to interview people from our newsrooms. I get to interview you twice a week. And we are super excited that listeners have really responded. We have doubled our numbers. So pretty exciting. Um, Well, we have a lot to talk about today besides how great we're doing, right? And one of that is we had the existing home sales report this week. So tell us what that meant. Yes. And an interesting report in this uh, context, um, when mortgage rates went from six and a quarter to 5%, and then the Federal Reserve completely lost it and said, oh my God, we can't, this can't happen, right? Stocks can't go up, people can't buy homes. And they did a full you know, front attack to get, get rates up. What it did is it stabilized the housing market. We had a really big month-to-month increase in new home sales. That data tends to be wild, but you can see that rates getting to five percent actually changes uh, some of the uh, some of the dynamics. And for me myself, I mean, just you know, looking at how the housing market reacted when rates went from four to five percent, the one thing I can easily say now is that that did not do the damage that I thought it would do. Uh, especially after the massive home price gains, it was actually five to six percent. Of course, now over seven percent. Uh, it, it's a much different ball game. But five percent actually, we we could see even with the price growth that we've had since 2020, can stabilize the market. So that's something to look forward to uh, in 2023. Because you know, as of today, some of the Fed members, you know, is talking about well, we should probably start to cool down the rate hikes, and then eventually they're going to stop and see what it does for the economy. We're, we're kind of at this stage where we're almost at the end uh, of the Fed rate hike cycle. They're, they're saying the things that I think they should be saying. Some of the 
inflationary growth rates that they saw uh, that happened in 2021, those things are already coming down. I think everybody knows that rental inflation on the CPI lags, uh, you know, hence why, you know, CNBC asked me to come speak, you know, to, uh, in September before the CPI report that shelter inflation has a lot of legs here. But, you know, over time, it should cool down. So maybe this is the start of the groundworks of we're coming toward the end of the Fed rate hike cycle and we'll see what it takes. Because, you know, the, the pushback that they've been getting is that they sound very condescending uh, when they tell people that you need pain, you, we need a job loss recession. And I think for myself, just listening how they talk, a lot of this is they're talking to Wall Street only. Right. So when you talk to Wall Street all only, you're talking to a bunch of people that just don't operate kind of in the real world. They're just managing money and, and stuff. And, and in the real world, it, they sound so cold and callous. And I think they, the pushback they're starting to get is that, you know, well, you know, maybe we need to start toning down because they are they basically are getting toward the end of the Fed rate hike cycle based on what they originally wanted. So um it makes for an unbelievable 2023. Of course, everything 2020, 2021, 2022, and you know, 2023, it's 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 historic and there's so many different variables here. But I thought what I saw today, Friday morning, uh, some of the Fed members starting to not pivot in the sense, but starts to lay the groundworks for the end of the Fed rate hike cycle, which again, I always say that I don't believe them when they say if we're in a recession, they're not gonna uh, cut rates. Uh, I think they're just talking so aggressively because they just want to get to a better place in their minds to deal with inflation, which they weren't in in October of, of uh, 2021, but now they are. Um, so that's why I say that. I, I, I just look at them as just talking like a bunch of nerds talking to a bunch of bully stock traders and they want to sound tough. And then at some point, things will change. Uh, if you look at it in that light, some of their uh, uh, verbiage that they've used over the last few months will make sense. But if you don't understand that, they, they sound very like almost delusional. Uh, uh, and uh, that's something we have to look forward to, see if they continue that uh, one seventy five percent rate hike and then they go to 50, 25, whatever it is, it's we're coming toward the end. And then they have a lot of ammunition to cut rates. And I mean, if they really wanted to like help the housing market, they could say one sentence and mortgage rates would come down like 1% by its own. So there is a precedence. We do have enough data to kind of see stabilization in the fives. Yeah, you know, uh, but we're getting, no, we're not there at that stage yet, but small steps going into uh, 2023. I think the reason that it sounds insensitive is because most of the people in this country are not stock traders. So if that's who they're talking to, meanwhile, all their actions are affecting, you know, Main Street, not Wall Street. Um, and especially in our industry, you know, the, the rapid rise of rates from in the twos to in the sevens is just, I mean, we haven't used the word unprecedented enough this year because we overused it in 2020 and 2021. But that we are seeing now with with the, you know, quarterly reports coming out, how devastating that has been for our industry. You know, they could have, I mean, there's no perfect world here. They could have achieved what they wanted to achieve if rates went for like to 4.75 to 5.75 and just hung hung around there. It would have been the same thing. Um, the, the thing that I don't like is that rates went up so much so fast that the new listings data is declining, right? So when we look at the, uh, uh, the NAR existing home sales report, what do we see? The last two months 
uh, inventory has been falling. Now, in, different companies have different inventory data, but we can see we never saw this historical spike that people have been talking about, or people equate, you know, the housing bubble is, and, and, and let me be dead honest, everybody was on the major supply spike side, and they've been on the major supply spike side for like seven, eight years now. Okay. It did not happen. Define what that means. What do you mean when everyone was on the major supply spike? What people equate to a housing bubble is that demand is so hot that once that demand stops, major supply increases. And we have historical precedents. We actually have a visual data, which only needs a second grade education and somebody visibly can see to see what a major supply spike actually looks like in the existing home sales market. And it's what we saw from uh, 2005 to 2006 and seven major spikes, historic, like go back four decades. It's never happened except that period. So I, and all your viewers, everyone here, ask every housing crash person, you know, if they would have known mortgage rates would have got to five, six or 7%, they would have doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on the major supply uh, uh, spike. Cause all I get are these dumb supply increase charts with people writing their markers on it and like, oh, this is going to happen. Nothing. Performance anxiety, all that talk was basically down to a four-decade low in inventory in 2019, which we did not even get to, right? It's a different marketplace. The inventory channels are different because the homeowner is not a speculator, right? The majority stock of homeowners, right, are actually just there to live. And this concept takes away the, the nature of that the entire housing market is driven by a few speculators, whatever. No, it's not the case. This would have been the year. This is the biggest test. If you're a housing crash addict, here it is, right? Housing went into a recession in June. We've talked about affordability model indexes since 2020, right? Uh, home prices go above 23% below five years and the 10-year yield getting above 1.94%. There you go. You're going to lose the housing market. But what it isn't is this massive increase in supply for people to be homeless, to people to go rent at a higher cost, to be that the housing market is this big speculation market. It's a Ponzi scheme because the Federal Reserve has created this greatest Ponzi scheme. It's people buying homes to live in. That's it. That's the majority of homeowners, right? So here you had everything you wanted, right? Recessionary data check, right? Uh, a major increase in not only mortgage rates, but total payments, check. On top of everything, home prices are going to be up this year. Again, check. You had everything in your We're still below 2019 inventory levels, right? So the supply level channels are different, and they've been different since 2012. But you'd have to read the data to know this because now it's like, wait a second. We're not even back to 2019 levels. And that takes another conversation altogether, something I actually tweeted this morning, that the reason I talk about 2018 and 19 levels is because you can have price growth deceleration even with low inventory if there's an affordability issue. That's why every American data analyst needs to have their own affordability models in there. So you can explain this to people that higher rates do matter, price growth matters, you connect the dots. But what it isn't, it was this massive speculative market, which... We have this in our country. It was ARC, stocks, tech stocks. They all ran up like crazy. And within three or four months, they all collapsed. That was the bubble, right? Because the prices, we can see it. 
Here, the so-called housing bubble that was going to crash this year, right? This was supposed to be the year. Last year was supposed to be the year. The year before that was supposed to be the year. All these periods were supposed to be the year. It still didn't happen. Why? Because housing is still just after 2010, the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own the debt. So we look at it in that context, and then the existing home sales uh, report makes sense. Inventories not breaking out higher, new listings, data is falling, because people are looking at it as shelter, not at it as investment. That's the majority stock of, uh, of owners, especially those that bought You know, since uh, uh, going back to, back to 2013. And guess who the biggest home buyers in America are? It's the millennials. So if you're not blaming the millennials for all this, you know, price gates, you you take the biggest buyer out of the equation, everything changes, right? And I think that's 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 what people should got of at the last existing home sales report. That demand is cooling noticeably, right? Purchase application data is below 2008 levels. It's getting uh, heading toward 2014 levels with adjusting to populations at all time low, and still we are back. No, we're not back to 2019 inventory levels, right? Because people buy homes to stay in there and live. And we all know what people do when they buy homes to live and they have families and all that stuff. You have to make it as simple as that and not get caught into this major speculation market. Demand never broke out like people thought it did. 2020 existing home sales were only 130,000 more than 2017 levels. That does not show any expanded sales growth. If you average out the two years now, in 2020 to 2021, it's only 350 to 375,000, really more than 2017 levels. That is not a credit or sales boom. Just got a little bit of kick in there. Inventory broke the all-time lows. There's your problem. And if you do not believe that there was an inventory situation, when inventory, nominal, real, population adjusted, adjusted to households, were all at all-time lows, ever recorded in U.S. history, you do not believe in the concept at all. Because there was no other time in history that we had this. And here it is. And it's still here. And we're like, oh, no, it's not an inventory shortage. It's the Fed. The Fed is a Ponzi scheme. The Fed is da 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 Get out of that. That's a Dungeons and Dragons routine. It worked when you were 8, 15, maybe 21. But you're 50 now. Right. You're not a young chicken anymore. Don't go to your grave like this. You know, the reason that we talk about this all the time is because every single day on social media and and also uh, by some well-respected other housing people, whatever, um, we see this played out. So it's not like we just keep beating the drum because like, oh, this is how we get people, you know, you get very fired up about this slogan. But the reason you get fired up is because we still see people missing this. years, Sarah. (laughs) <laughs> Ten years I'm hearing I've had this, to deal yes. With this clan. It is a clan. It is a Sierra Leone economic doomsday clan, and they can't let it go. And they're not young people anymore. That means at their age, they're going to the grave with this, right? So uh credit is so important to housing. All my work in the last decade was you do not ease lending standards ever, right? Easing lending standards would be bad. Right, I have stayed consistent with that all the way along. I've even talked about how I would be—I would literally protest in Congress if there was any easing of lending standards that would be bad. I'm against a 40-year mortgage, a 50-year mortgage, whatever it is. Housing needs to have some kind of stability. We lost that. We finally paid the price of not realizing that we didn't have enough product. It was fine from 2012 to 2019. 
Total inventory levels were good enough to keep things at bay. It wasn't after 2020, right? And again, different dynamics, demographics better, rates were low, right? We had low mortgage rates all the way from 2010 to 2019. We never saw the price growth, the celebration, the bidding wars like we did. There's only one common truth here that every person with a second grade education and that can visually see, can see, we literally broke to all-time lows. But our population is over 330 million and our adjusted to households, it's very low. So you have to believe that that concept matters. And we saw that. And now that rates have gone up, home prices have accelerated too much, affordability got hit. That actually impacts demand. That can impact pricing, but you just have to be patient, right? I've always talked about it takes two years of effective uh, negative demand to really reduce pricing in a manner to where if people want to see, I want to see negative year over year home prices. It really takes the second year. Why? Because you didn't have an accelerated demand curve going from there. And we see this now. I mean, look, existing home sales are, are, are on the verge of breaking under 2014 levels. Uh, and and we're, we should get there in the last few months of the year. And we're like nowhere close. We're, we are literally more than a million active listings below the peak of 2014 levels. And 2014 levels, people went crazy back then too. They said, housing's a crash, housing's a bubble. It has to go back to 1996, whatever. It's the same act by the same people over again. My thing is get them in a live debate, which we're going to have in a few days. We're going to have a housing bubble person uh, out there. And you get to see that people should believe in economic models. They should forecast and they should be held accountable through their forecasting and when you've done this for over 10 years, like I have, and I challenge people, name and face, give it to me, 99.9% of people just go, no. Why? It's different when you bleed in the battlefield, right? It's different when your children and your spouse and your coworkers have to actually look at your stupid Twitter account with your dumb, stupid name and running around and posting <laughs> for 10 years. Literally, I have been dealing with some of these people for 10 years. So they're gone. There you have completely lost the grid when you're that. And we're talking about a group of people who missed the longest economic and job expansion in history, just went back crazy bearish on COVID, which I'm willing to forgive, right? Because it was our first global pandemic. We wrote that recovery model. Why? Because economic models work. You just got to show people and then miss that entire recovery. So it's a one trick pony. Why? Because living after 1913 for these American citizens, has been so painful because of the Federal Reserve and Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, whatever island was created, that they will not let this go until death. And even in the afterlife, they will walk the afterlife with no ears, no tongue, no eyes, <laughs> screaming that the Fed's balance sheet has destroyed everything in their lives. When most of these people are actually doing well off because they own homes, they own stocks, they don't own gold. I ask these people, how much gold do you own? No. Right. So it's just a grift. It's just a grift. And this is why I always say, let's get let's get into a one on one. Let me read your forecast. Let me read your models. Let me get everything. Ninety nine point nine percent people say no. I got one person, one brave person who's going to do it. And oh, we are going to ball up Sarah Wheeler. This is going to be so much fun. This is going to be fun. Um, we are having that debate this week because this airs uh, next week. So this week we'll have all the details coming up, but really excited about that. And and just wanted to note for people hearing that noise in the background, that is Logan clapping. Even though I've told him not to clap, he cannot help himself. He's going to clap on his major points. <laughs> so. Old basketball coach here. 
All about I know. Okay, so let's talk about the Fed. Let's talk about the the push pull that they're still in, right? Like they, you say they're just talking tough. You think that they could be near a pivot? Let's talk about that a little bit. Here, here's the thing with the pivot. Obviously, the labor market, the Federal Reserve has actually forecasted a recession next year uh, on their own forecasts. Four point four percent unemployment rate with where we are right now at three and a half percent. The labor pool is not coming back, right? There is no missing labor pool. There's only a, a, a systematic pool of some people maybe could come back, but outside of that, there's not this pack of dwarves that are coming here. So it's a job loss recession, right? Uh, and again, the leading economic index came out. Uh, 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 last week, and then uh, it's down six months now. So, g- talking to the conference board about this, all six recession red flags are up. I, when, when I say traditionally, I'm saying 100% accuracy rate on business cycles when this is all up together. So, right now, they know this data, right? So, they're trying to thread the needle on maybe getting inflation growth down. Good enough that they don't have to hike and try to save as many jobs that you know are, are coming. A job loss recession is coming based on their own forecast. So they're trying to thread the needle here. Uh, we talked about this recently that you know I think one real positive for next year is if all these housing two units under construction, all nine hundred ten thousand of them. You know we have over one hundred forty three million uh, uh, housing units, but if we get nine hundred ten thousand with growth rate of inflation already cooling off. We can get that next year, right? The best way to fight inflation is always by supply. If you're doing it with demand destruction, it's too late, right? Something went wrong. So we are trying to all manage this situation as best as we can with a strong dollar that's causing so much havoc. And I think I think back to my work because the dollar getting stronger really is a huge part of my economic work. And traditionally speaking, the dollar gets stronger. Its biggest percentage rise is before the first Fed rate hike. Well, the Fed went King Kong, Godzilla crazy on Fed rate hikes, and the world around us is not doing good, right? We are the only economic superpower. So China's China's not even reporting economic data anymore. That's how bad things are over there. Europe is in a Europe is in a World War III energy war with Russia right now, so they're feeling the pain, uh, and they have drama. Japan is, you know, still. Uh, uh, We've had two major uh, Japanese uh, Fed interventions the last two nights, you know, here. So they're they're every the world is dealing with us. And here we're like we're hiking until the labor market breaks. So uh, the dollar getting stronger is disinflationary. Right. We the stuff that we get is cost less. And usually what happens is energy prices fall because of it. World growth slows down. It didn't happen because the Russian invasion happened. And we're it's just. It's just a hot mess. There's so many other things that came in that you know we that aren't economic and and uh, I, it, it would it, traditionally it would be so much beneficial for the dollar getting stronger to fight inflation. It's not the case at this time. Uh, of course, with energy prices now, the growth rate of course is falling down for there, but shelter inflation just just kicked in. Right, rental vacancies falling for many many years, and here comes. You know the biggest housing demographic patch. Not everyone can buy homes, but everyone needs shelter. People moving around. There's your rent inflation. So things should start to cool down. We're in a much different spot. That's why I always tell tell people we're in a much different spot October of 2022 for the Federal Reserve than it was in October of 2021 when the stock market was at all-time highs, no Fed rate hikes really in the system. Uh, um, You know, they're in a better spot. And then hopefully in 2023, they realize you don't have to kick Americans out of their jobs. 
You don't have to create that much stress for those that are going to lose their job. You can keep the system in. And again, the system is based on still this one principle since 2010, household balance sheets look good. If you're a homeowner, right? If you're not a homeowner, it's a different equation. And every recession premise from Wall Street, from Twitter finance, from CNBC, Bloomberg, whatever it was from 2010 to 2022 failed. It was a global pandemic, right? So now for myself, never had my six recession red flags up, uh, uh, you know, in the previous expansion, but here they are. Here it is. So this is a this is a noticeable big macroeconomic change. So right now we're just looking at the labor market, right? Job openings, jobless claims, job openings, jobless claims, jobless claims down again, right? The U.S. labor market is honey badger against two cobras and five jaguars. They don't, honey badger doesn't care. The U.S. labor market doesn't care. It's still, you know, doing very, very well. I guess different demographic dynamics, of course, that we've talked about here on Housing Wire. So, um, it, it makes for a very interesting 2023. But today, you know, we saw not not a pivot, but kind of like, you know, the leanings. Well, we have to start. We can't hike rates forever, and we this, there's a lag effect on interest rate hikes. So we we kind of want to get there, and we'll see. We'll see. And I think I think the shelter inflation story, as as big and as important was for me in the summer of 2020, saying, "Oh boy, here it comes!" Right? It's the opposite now. Oh boy, guess what? The growth rate is slowing. We will we'll see that data more in 2023. If you were a betting man and you were thinking about that five and a half percent interest rate, mortgage interest rate, when do you think we might see that? Here's here's the thing about mortgage rates for next year. If we go back to like 1980, like we, we could actually have a time where mortgage rates really took off. The next year, just because of the laws of big numbers, right? There's going to be a noticeable decline because the move was so high. Um, we can get, we can get to five, five and a half percent next year. It, the Federal Reserve, if they wanted to, can facilitate that even faster. If they, if they wanted to save the housing market, right? If they wanted to, uh, uh, make sure the construction jobs, everything that actually stabilizes the housing market. It doesn't get it back to what we saw in the previous expansion. Previous expansion was very easy in the sense that when, the mortgage rate just went basically from three and a quarter to five percent, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The entire the entire expansion. Um, back then, the ten year yield just went back and forth between one sixty to three percent. Really, we had some breaks on the edges, but nothing too dramatic. Here, you have such a high acceleration, and if the growth rate of inflation falls, right, and if more two unit constructions and rents come down. And if something could happen with the Russian uh, invasion where that gets fixed, yeah, you can get there. You can easily get there. And uh, again, um, the Federal Reserve knows housing is in a recession. They know people are losing their jobs. Uh, the only people that haven't really lost their jobs in a bigger fashion are construction workers because they're working on that backlog. When that backlog ends, they're all going to get fired. Right, not not all of them, but a majority of them. So we are at that point to see can the Fed thread the needle here, get inflation growth rate down, bond market starts to react at okay, this is over, right? Um, and yields go down, mortgage rates go down, and we get back toward that five percent, which is high compared to the last cycle. But you can see some stabilization at least, and then we get some kind of functioning market. That, the thing is so frustrating for me is that at the end of June, seeing the new listings data just decline like it did, 
It's just like the, the, it's such a sloppy increase in rates that you, you're changing behavior that you don't want to change, right? Because when we think of housing demand, it's not just first-time home buyers. First-time home buyers, move-up buyers, move-down buyers, cash buyers, investors, right? You the move-up buyer, move-down buyer, right? That's that's such a big part of it. You literally are losing that uh, on top of the major hit to home payments. So, so it's it's just a savagely unhealthy housing market, and there's no really easy answers. But you can lay the groundwork that if the growth rate of inflation, some of these things are falling. Janet Yellen said that today. Uh, we see this in the freight data. We see this in the used cars data. We see this happening. We did not have this happen in October of 2021, right? But we're seeing it now. It's just this shelter inflation. It's rent inflation. That's why I get that two-unit construction out there. And then we can get back to something kind of normal and uh, try to prevent as many job losses as possible. I really thought that was a great point that you made in an article earlier this week where you were talking about the rent inflation and why it's so important when we look at those units coming online. Yes, they're not single family homes, but that's going to have the desired effect on the Fed to say, oh, rent inflation is falling because we have more supply. And then maybe they can give the housing market a break, right? Because it feels yeah. like they don't have a ton of levers to pull. And one of the levers they have, it, it's really like they're okay with it being housing is going to take the fall. Yeah. And, and here's the one thing. Um, a lot of people make a big deal about this 1.7 million homes under construction. Okay. So break this out into how a data analyst would do it. You have over 143 million housing units. Out of that 1.7 million units, 910,000 of them are two-unit construction. That's primarily just for renting, right? So shelter inflation goes down. Out of the whatever is left for the single-family homes, uh, there's 461,000 new homes available for sale. Only like 49,000 of them, so something something to that nature, are completed homes. There's not there's not much supply there from that from that context, right? So the builders are building those things because there's a less than one month supply is completed. So out of the 8.1 months. A lot of it's multifamily construction, right? And then the builders on new homes, there's a lot of those homes they haven't even started yet. So it's it's a different dynamic. And this is why, you know, people were so pent up for this major supply hit because uh, it's all I hear about. All I hear about is major supply, is major supply. Just like, guess what? We're already below 2008 levels purchase application. We're not even, we're not even close to 2014 levels, let alone 2007. So the builders will take their time on the single family, but the two units are different. Now, the issue that can happen next year is that if multifamily construction or demand cools down, they're done with that. So if you get done with both, you really have a, a, uh, a an issue with construction labor uh, getting let go. And the history of when construction labor is let go, it's very difficult to get it back because there's other industries that will take that labor. So the builders know this. So they're going to hang on as much as they can. But if you lose both of them, you don't need uh, that construction labor once those homes are finished. So much different dynamic just because of what we've had to deal with with uh, COVID. But uh, it, it is a plus. Again, the best way to fight inflation is supply. And we got a lot of two units out there. And hopefully that does its trick next year. And then uh, uh, that'll be, be that'll be a beneficial uh, factor for the housing market uh, and, and for everyone in the industry because that that shelter inflation is the really big kicker on the CPI data. Forty three percent of core CPI is shelter, twenty five percent of that's rent. So, well, well, hopefully we get we get what I think we should have, especially toward the end of uh, or the second half of twenty twenty three. 
We will be rooting for that because, like I said, I mean, it has decimated our industry. I do want to give uh, more specifics about our housing debate, which this podcast will uh, come out on Monday. So actually, the debate will be tomorrow, if you're listening to this. It's on Tuesday, October 25th at 12 p.m. Central. Um, you can find it on housingwire.com, and it's going to be with Mohanad Ama, and he is a professor, uh, I think, in statistics and housing, and it's going to be a really interesting thing. We have some great questions planned, and so I would tell everyone, tune into that. It's going to be amazing, and Logan, as always, thank you for being on. Thank you for having me. Thank you uh, for everyone for helping us to crack the top 10, but we want to be number one. We want to knock off the Wall Street Journal, and for those that are interested in housing Bubble Economics, there was an article that I wrote for myself in 2019. You just type in Housing Bubble 2019 with a question mark with my name. It is all the historical data work that worked for the previous expansion to say that, hey, guess what? This is not a ha- this is not what a housing bubble looks like, but things in there like mortgage rate targeting, affordability levels, how do you, you know, there, there are things in there that is very uh, precedent to what we're dealing with right now, and especially in this housing bubble discussion, because it's such a different type of housing market this time around than what we saw from 2002 to 2011. Thanks for that, Logan. We will uh, look for you at the debate tomorrow. And thanks for being on. Pleasure is always mine, Sarah Wheeler. have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW+, membership, you get access to longer-form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.